tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. We were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. All men and women created by the goal, you know the you know the It's going to say, you want free speech? Let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil, who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. You want to claim this land as a land of the free? Now show me that. Defend that. Celebrate that in your classroom. Then stand up and sing about the land of the free. Which do you like more, Congress or lice? <laughs> Well, we like lice. Here's my eight words people need to stop redefining. Hate, victim, hero, shame, violence, survivor, phobic, and white supremacist. That America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. I really, this is one of those episodes that you really don't know where to start because to say that there are some changes coming around the corner is about as big of an understatement as you can get. I would say, so, I would suggest that's about right, yeah. So let's go ahead and drop the gauntlet on the table and bring up the fact that recently, a few days ago is the time of this recording, the Supreme Court of the United States of America basically overturned the decision from the 70s of Roe versus Wade, which made abortion a constitutional right or the ability to have access to an abortion. They did indeed. So, but, but, but what exactly does that mean? And it comes down to a lot of this is what has got me completely pissed off is how much brinksmanship showmanship and just out and out lies and misdirection and bullshit that is going on with this so and and this is really kind of even above and beyond whether or not you are for or against the action of abortion as to whether or not you believe it should or should not be legal because this is really not about that because if it was about that this would have been solved 10 seconds after the ruling came out what this is about is an upcoming election. So they overturned Roe versus Wade, which does nothing more than say that abortion is not a constitutional right that people have. It does not say that it is illegal. It just says that you don't have a right to it. Well, what does that mean at the moment? It means that that then falls to each individual state to make up their own laws in regards to abortion so what you have is about half the states in the country have just up and decided that it is now illegal in their states everything from extraordinarily draconian uh rules and laws i'm looking at you texas um to uh, places that are going absolutely insane to just to make sure that you can have an abortion even to a few seconds after birth um 
and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic when I say that. And really all of this is because there is no federal law. But because we have federal elections coming up, and this is the perfect thing for one side to scream at the other side, you're doing it wrong, no one's going to, do, no one's going to fix it. This could literally take 10 minutes on the House and Senate floor and then maybe a day for things to make it to the president's desk for him to sign it for this whole problem to be corrected because all we need is federal law. They won't do that. No. They won't do that. It's There's too much political capital to be spent to do that. They they, they can't do that. I don't even think a professional pol- the f- professional politician class is capable of doing something like that. Well, it, it's not even the fact of they're, whether they're capable or incapable. They're actively making sure that it doesn't happen. Well, because I mean, there, well, there was a there was a bill that they are blaming on the other side. Now, I am not saying Democrats versus Republicans. I'm talking this side versus that side because, quite frankly, if the roles were reversed, I don't think we'd be in any different situation. Oh, of course not. But the the, the party in in control at the moment created a bill to codify this decision to simply make say that there is a federal law that at uh, up until uh, the the uh, fetus is viable on its own that an abortion was legal. However, they threw so much extra shit into the bill that even some people within their own party wouldn't vote for it. And I'm not even just talking about uh, the the ones that everybody's complaining about, Mansion and Cinema. They had a gr- a large portion of their entire party that would not vote for this bill. So it's not even a concept of whether or not you agree with this. You're you're talking about a government that is actively creating a problem simply to try to win an election. Simply to cause enough emotional turmoil that they scare you into voting for some one way versus another. Yeah. And this is new because what? I, and I hate it's to a little sound bit more in that. your face than usual. I mean, we, we've been talking about government bullshit, but this is almost like that guy in the subway who wants to rub shit in people's faces. Yeah, 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 I would, uh, I would agree with that. But uh, honestly, did you expect something better from them? <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, Republicans have been trying to stack the Supreme Court deck to get this particular outcome for near 50 years and when they finally got in people have been screaming left right and backwards they're stacking the deck for it they're stacking the deck for it and nobody believed them and when they finally got the political capital to to put enough anti-abortion people on the supreme court to get it through and it did happen they waited for a case and waited for a case and finally got it when and there was enough people on it to, to make it come out this way. People find it surprising. This has been coming since they they put Roe versus Wade up. They have been actively petitioning. There's been a long-standing petition against this particular ruling. Uh, the conservative and Christian groups have been pushing for this and pushing for this for four, for over 40 years. So – the fact that it happened now is not a surprise when you have a Supreme Court that has specifically been selected for these reasons, in my personal opinion. This is not surprising at all. I think well, it's sad, 
but it's not surprising. Well, if you just look at the, if you take the politics and the emotions out of it, if you simply look at the legalities involved in the Roe versus Wade decision, um, there was grounds to overturn it. Now, it, it may not be the outcome that we want, but there are grounds legally to do so. This is not something that somebody has gone willy-nilly out of their way and said, let's crowbar this in. No, no actually, I, the decision itself was crowbarred in. Hell, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, of all people, admitted that that decision was crowbarred in. What they should have legally done at the time with the case they had in front of them for Roe versus Wade is thrown this back at the legislature and said, you need to create legal you know, precedent for this. It's not up to there's nothing here for the judiciary to do. This is a legislative matter. And they should have. And like you're saying, like you said earlier today, they could just make a law. The problem with that is I don't think they're capable of it. That will require unilateral action. And, and what's funny, what's really funny to me is that now, right now, and for the last two years, they, the Democratic Party, if they really wanted to do that, if they, you know, because they knew, they knew for the last year that this was going to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court might dump it. They could have just made a law. They had a supermajority and a sympathetic president. It could have taken, like you're saying, 20 minutes, you know, for everybody to look at that and go, oh, yeah. Let's do that. Let's let's cement this stuff in and, and let people know we're we're on top of this. They could have done it. They didn't want to. Because they have to create some reason for them to be, oh, we're gonna save things now. Like now they've created I mean the Republicans had a lock because of inflation and because of all the things going on and because we have an extremely weak president. Uh they had a lock up until about a week ago of this this election cycle was going to just overturn every democratic seat in in the house and the senate they they had a lock now they put a political wedge in there and the democrats have something to rally around and i don't know whether this was on purpose <laughs> i mean i i don't honestly think they could have gotten it together like this to be well, perfectly I'll, honest. I'll tell you, if, if there is a, it, and I'm not suggesting that there is, I'm saying if there is an insidious, insidious conspiracy plan behind it, I, I, where I would think it's going is the other part about this is that they are completely, totally, and utterly delegitimizing the, um, legis not the legislative, the judicial branch of the government. Yeah, because they basically needed a whole because, bunch of help there. Well, ba basically because the judicial branch isn't going their way they are setting it up just to ignore the judicial branch uh, you know it's happened not only with what you're seeing um from the abortion ruling but also from what we discussed in a previous cast with the gun control ruling that the presidency and the legislature are Talk, they, originally, they were talking about stacking the court and uh, just adding in more justices of their political views. But that's kind of a, you know, a, a losing uh, gambit because that just means that the next side is going to do the same damn thing. Next, thing you know, you've got 150 people on the Supreme Court. Um, 
however, what they have managed to do is starting to create precedents of just ignoring Supreme Court rulings. You know, they do, they're doing it with gun control because, you know, New York has already basically said, looked at the Supreme Court with their um, ruling with regards to concealed carry permits and said, yeah, we're not going to do that. Yeah, and we're New York the, and we do what we want. And the president has endorsed that concept, as well as uh, some of the states that are talking about what they are going to do with regards to abortion. And the government and the excuse me, the president is telling state governors, do what you need to do. Now, he's leaving that open ended as to what that means. But if you don't understand what he's telling them, uh, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. Mm. Uh, and after you're done buying that one, I got one in Queens you can have. Uh, but I, I, to me, I, I have issue with a couple of parts of this, but the part that really gets me, the part that you look at this and you go, huh, I, uh, I think this is going to go badly is what we've managed to do is, weaponize stupidity and it's so effective now we don't even see it happening when it's happening right we've we've managed to take the voting public and they've been fed on crap in sound bites for so long and they've been told what to think for so long i don't think anyone really understands how much the average person leans on being told what to think. And it's so depressing to me to, to look out and go, Oh my God, we're sheeple. This is how Rome fell, right? It wasn't, it wasn't external forces. I mean, yeah, external forces eventually raided and sacked them and took them down and all that kind of stuff, but it was Rome's arrogance and their rot from within that really brought them down. We're doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing. We have a huge army. We have a huge standing army, probably the largest and most powerful in the world. Not, in fact, probably the most largest and powerful standing army in the world. Okay, We are still the big dog militarily. But we are rotting from within, and the entire world is just letting us do it because not only do they not like us, um, it is impossible to fix some of the stupidity because it's gone so far. We we don't even recognize it as being stupid anymore. We just say we're right. <laughs> and that's it. That's as far as it goes. And – you know, you look at something when there are actual problems like, OK, a lot of the country doesn't like this Roe versus Wade thing there. Uh, you know, at least uh, I would say half the country is is against this. And nothing will be done about it. Nothing can be done about it because our political class and our leadership is so weak. In both. Well, it's, I'm not it's saying not even just the Democrats. It's, it's not even a concept of weak. The, their per point of interest is nothing more than keeping their jobs. That's what I consider weak. And, and, yeah. and, and dispensing money. Yeah, that's what I consider weak. They're, they are so busy keeping their job that they're not doing their job. They're so busy 
looking to to stay in power that they forgot why they're there in the first place. And honestly, I think most of them were never there to to lead and, and help the people. Anyway, they were there for the power and the side projects and the the under the table payments and and the the endorsements and all that kind of stuff. Like uh, I was watching, uh, of all things, uh, uh, history of the NBA the other day, and they were saying that uh, the object for people coming into the NBA now is not actually to play the game; it's to get a sneaker contract. That's where you make your actual money. Oh hell yes. And and they're like, it has been a fun, it is a fantastic way to get a sneaker deal. That's what that's what they're doing. It's not to play the game. It's to get a shoe. And I think that's largely what's happened in that parallels our political class. They're not there to govern the country and, and serve the people. They're there for the special interests and the money and the power. And that's it. And I, while that's not unlike any other political group or poli- – I mean we're not uh, uh, unlike any other country. There's a lot of countries that are like that, and, and most other people in power I would say are similar. However, we didn't start out that way, and honestly it's getting so bad, and the people are so out of touch. I saw um, – not to say change the subject, but I saw – speaking of the out-of-touch thing, MSNBC had this fucking idiot on the other day, um, this earlier this week, where she was talking about inflation and that everybody just needs to <laughs> calm the hell down and back up because your life is just not that bad. And you're still going to go on vacation and you're still going to do all the things you need to do, and that proves that the system is working. And I'm it's not going just not on so vacation. Bad. I'm not either. I'm like, no. Uh, and I'm like, how out of touch do they have to be to see that rising inflation like this and you know, the fuel prices and food prices and rent and housing and all the rest of the stuff that's, that's going to affect you? Like I, I, I heard somebody the other day. And it was a – they were – I don't know. It must have been 20, 22 years old. And they said, well, I don't see why everybody's upset about the Fed raising a rate. It doesn't affect normal people. And I'm like <laughs> – Well, I mean, okay, I've been chief. asking myself whether or not the uh, the people in the White House, especially with the this uh, dimwit, and uh, I have – she's so bad that I have not even managed to get her name stuck in my mental Rolodex, but the press secretary for um, the, the White House at the moment. And I'm sitting here listening to these things, as you said, and I'm sitting here going, I'm not even asking whether or not these people understand modern economics anymore. I'm asking whether or not they understand basic 2 plus 2 math. <laughs> Some of the comments that they have made with regards to the economy is, you know, things like uh, we, we don't really see we, we don't feel that we're in a re- in a recession. Really? How Seriously? the hell? Do you, yeah. How the hell do you not feel like and it doesn't matter what Corinne Jean Pierre uh, Jean Pierre says. Listen, is that her name? You mean the White House press secretary? Yeah. Yeah. The nitwit. No, and I mean, I didn't I mean, think it was possible to get more moronic than the one we just caught out. Like Jen Psaki looks I like actually, a 
super I miss star. Jen Psaki at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a superstar compared to this broad, but but still, although my favorite, and I know this is going to be, uh, this is so bad, but my favorite press secretary recently was Trump's last one that he had, the the blonde chick. Holy crap! Well, she was, it she fun was to watch just her. a genius. I mean, you know, I thought Saki was a genius for you know at least trying to pour some porf- perfume on bullshit. Um, the, the woman for Trump, she made bullshit smell like roses. Yeah, her verbal judo was so good. You just wanted to watch it. I don't know what happened to her or where she went, but whatever it is, somebody got a deal. <laughs> okay, well, uh, unfortunately, she's now a commentator on Fox News. Somebody got a deal. That's all I'm saying, because she, <laughs> she was so good at turning whatever the hell dumpster fire was going on behind her <laughs> to, to fixing that. Like, it's like, I don't know what they paid her, but it wasn't enough, you know, uh, but still. Well, OK, so so. You've, you've got this woman standing up there trying to tell the world that. There's no financial issue going on. I mean, everyone's experiencing at least a little bit of inflation, and yet we are actually higher inflation than any other country in the in the world right now by over a percentage point. Yeah. Uh, now, and not only that, but she the constantly wanting to blame everything on Putin and the war. The inflation <clears throat> started a year and a half before the war. Look again. We're so stupid. According to our ruling class, we are so stupid. Just tell them anything. It's fine. They'll believe anything. It's fine. She was getting grilled the other day on uh, the whole uh, electric car versus gas prices thing. And the person said, uh, what are we doing with regards to gas prices? And she said, well, you know, we just think it would be better if people were driving electric cars. And he said, Okay, are you suggesting that people who can't afford five dollars a gallon for gas cannot af- can can afford a sixty thousand dollar car at a minimum? And her response was, "Oh, that's apples and oranges." I I don't understand how that's apples and oranges, but okay. And see, and 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 that's what they'll quit, and they'll quit right there. They'll quit right there, and that's why I think the press is just so in collusion with the, the the White House, and they're just so placating to the Democratic Party right now uh, that it's almost state TV because they didn't push any further than that. Can you explain how it's apples and oranges? We would we're confused, right? Because that's would be my first question. Exactly well, how? But see, the thing is, is that they, she what. I may have to get into our existential question early because it really is going to bear on this, but I'll I'll, I'll start to at least to some extent here, with it, which is uh, she's very very Gen Z in the fact that everything she starts with is we feel, we oh, feel this, that. we feel hate, that because that sentence. because of the simple fact that what that communicates to uh, Gen Z and the younger millennials is. Everything is about how people is about how you feel about something. Your feelings are truth. Therefore, the fact that they feel like we're not in a recession means from their perspective, it's true. Right. So the fact that, you know, gas is five dollars a gallon, that it costs 
you know, close to a hundred bucks to to fill up a car at the moment really has nothing to do with their feelings, but that's the mentality my, that goes along with it. That's what they're communicating to. My question right after that, like right after she said that's apples and oranges, it'd be like, excuse me, uh, Madam Secretary, um, is the president's presidential limo electric? And there would be silence. Well, yeah, but see, that's no different than the argument of Jim Carrey, get, get, Jim, not Jim Carrey, John Carrey. Jim Carrey's a completely different person. John Carrey getting off of his private plane that he just flew to 18 different countries to talk about climate change, coming out and talking about air travel being the bane of the universe. Right. You know, it's like, is, it, did it, you, is the government fully electric, ma'am? Have you... Have you converted all yours to Teslas? You know, like, what is being done here? You're supposed to lead by example. And, and the, the truth is they just don't care. That's really what it is. They, Biden has made it no secret throughout his entire career. He does not care about gas prices. He does not care about the fuel. And he really wants us all to go electric, and he's not going to do a damn thing to move it. He's not. He doesn't give a shit. So... This is and this is where pretty much the entire left sits. Well, buy a Tesla. That's that's literally the only answer you can get out of a buy an electric car. That's it. So that's their solution. It's not the fact that you can't like if everybody went today to try and buy one, you can't. Two, we don't all have the. I've never bought a sixty thousand dollar vehicle in my life. We've covered that. Neither of you. Most people haven't. So. What exactly are they telling us? They're telling us, fuck you. That's what they're, the gas prices are high. What should we do? Fuck off. That's what you should do. That's what they're telling us. Now, they're not using those exact words, but pretty close. So I'm not sure exactly what it is people are not seeing here. Well, I'm going to go ahead and ask you our existential question this week. It's going to take a little bit of setup, but uh, <laughs> you'll you'll see how it bears on what it is that we're talking about. Because I'm finding myself in a position that I really need to apologize to the millennials for all the shit I've given them over the years. And the reason being that is that I have suddenly started working with Gen Z and now crave millennials. <laughs> yeah, Gen Z's words. Uh, <laughs> Gen Z. Millennials have almost like kind of gotten it now. Like they pay taxes, they're trying to get houses, they're trying to start a family. They're like, this is bullshit. We're like, welcome to the part, welcome to the war, right? Uh, and so I'm sitting here looking at Gen Z and just kind of thinking to myself. I start out with, I know the culture of our country is changing. I, I understand that, and I understand that that does happen. And I really don't have a problem with the fact that the culture is changing. Just because I don't understand what these kids are saying doesn't necessarily mean anything more than I'm an old fart. And that's been going on since, you know, we were kids in the 80s, and our dads were trying to go, right off, man. <laughs> yeah. So so this is this is not a new concept that cultures change over time. What I'm looking at is trying to figure out whether or not this culture that we're changing into is going to be sustainable in any way, shape or form. And I it don't not. It, it's well, and that's what I was about to say. I don't think that it is. And just because I, what I what I started looking at is 
right now we've got a lot of a bunch of younger people looking at the older people saying i don't want to do this anymore i don't want to work i don't think i should have to i think that you should just give me what i want uh i think i should be in charge right away and and they're getting very upset when somebody who is older than they are and in charge at the moment looking at them going no you're a twit um what happens when, and that's, this isn't quite the question yet, this is still leading up to the question, is is my, what I'm worried is is what happens when those people are finally in charge? Because the millennials have managed to get it, as you said. And, but I'm questioning whether or not Gen Z will. That once those people who haven't wanted to do anything are in charge, that basically what's going to happen at that point in the generation is the concept is going to collapse because they're nobody's going to want to do anything so you have said before and now we're getting into the question you have said before that um what we really need somewhere along the line is a charismatic leader with a valid plan to bring people along now though i'm not a religious person i know that every christian who's listening to this just screamed out antichrist um, but you know, that that's kind of where we're coming and what we need. Here's my question for you. When the Gen Zers are in charge and that opportunity comes up, do you think they'll recognize the person for who they are? Or do you think they're going to find something that they said when they were in fifth grade and cancel the person? Okay. Do we uh, have? Is it possible for someone to be perfect enough for Gen Z? No. Uh, I mean, just if you if if Gen Z is in charge at that time, what you're going to get, and I think you're right about this, is an Antichrist. It's a Hitler or something like that, a Mussolini, whatever, whatever. Insert dictator here. Okay, because throughout history. When you have a weak population that doesn't want to do anything and just wants somebody to solve their problems for them with very little effort, little to no effort, there will be somebody to, to step in that slot and go, I have a plan. And it will all seem very reasonable because the language they will use and they have impeccable, they have impeccable credentials and they're. They're of the right class, and they say the right things on Twitter, or, or they're of the right ethnic background, or whatever it is, depending on if you're in 1930s Germany. Uh, you're, there will be that person who's like, all you have to do is listen to me and follow me. And that's something people do very easily. When I say it takes a leader with a charismatic leader with a good plan, what I mean is it takes a leader who can outline the plan and say, okay, this is going to hurt. <laughs> this is going to hurt and it's going to suck a little bit, but what we're going to do is this and ha and be inspiring enough and word it correctly that People will follow them through the crappy part of the plan into something new. Give me an example. I'll give you two examples, actually. Uh, the most famous one being the uh, Nazi regime of the 1930s. 
coming to power, that was largely Hitler's thing was, okay, here, we're going to do this. We're going to take back. He, what he did is he took advantage of a national depression, right? The, after World War II, the <laughs> sanctions. Can't imagine that would on, happen. Yeah. The sanctions imposed on Germany were pretty steep. And the people were crying out for this is unjust. We will never get out of this. Like, this is bad. We, you know, and it would just morale was low. And here comes this guy with all you need to do is be German enough and follow me and I will make everything okay. And they bought it. And when he started doing his plan and everybody went along with it because it was extremely popular. Right. And everyone will tell you that in Germany at the time, the, 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 the Nazi movement was extremely popular because it was like the swell of national pride. And we're going to get out of this together. Never mind the horrible well, stuff that he was going to do along the way. Not, not but not only that, he actually started with a positive. He started Absolutely. rebuilding things. He started with infrastructure. He started helping yep. people get jobs. I mean, right. So. Even though he turned out to be a bit of a bastard, um, I'm sure that's a tad bit of an understatement. Mm, I would um, say, yeah. But at the same time, he he didn't start that way. Now he may have known that he was going that way, but that's not how he started presenting himself to the people. No, no, it's not. Uh, and but it was ex- like you're saying. It was extremely popular to start with, right? To start with, it was very, um, very easy to follow, right? All you got to do is be a German and follow me, right? That's what you get when when people blindly are just searching for something and somebody steps into the role. What well, is much more difficult to do, okay, was FDR. FDR um, was the, with his New Deal, right? And this is what I'm talking about. Like, we were coming out of a depression. We had homelessness. We had joblessness. We had starving. Uh, we were coming out of the Dust Bowl uh, because we'd raped our, our farmland uh, for World War One to, to make all the, you know, of all the corn and all the wheat and all the rest of the stuff. And we'd really overdone it. Um, it was a horrible idea. We knew it at the time, and then we paid for it afterwards. And what he did was say, okay, we're going to make extremely expensive changes in the the short term here and do a bunch of public works projects and economic and social changes to the country that are going to to lift to help lift us out of this depression. Now, in the end, it took the start of World War II and all the production and people doing jobs and going to war and all that kind of thing to lift us out completely. But we were on the way with the New Deal. This was not exactly what you'd call super popular at the time. Uh, and it took a lot of you know, pledges from FDR and a lot of trust from the American people to get banking reform laws and emergency relief programs and and uh, farming programs and, and all these things that they had to do um, 
several agencies uh, were sprung out of that, some of which worked out okay and some of which not so much. Uh, but but he had a plan. wasn't the best plan in the world. It wasn't perfectly executed. But he was charismatic enough to go, okay, we're going to have to fix this. And the only way we can do it is by our own bootstraps, and we're going to have to do – these things, we're gonna have to do it this way. And we're gonna have, and it's gonna be a little painful. Uh, uh, and there, there were a number of issues that that came along with that. But what happened? You know, like, did we go through it? Yeah, it was okay. Uh, and it started, uh, you know, and, and shortly after that, I think. I think in 1935, they passed Social Security. And if you remember, when they started Social Security and everybody got a number, what'd they call it? Mark of the Beast. They thought, oh, my God, they're giving us all numbers. <laughs> right? It was. Well, now <laughs> it's your credit card, damn it. Right. You know, it was the Mark of the Beast. They're giving us all numbers, and, and, and we're, all just, we're all just numbers to them. Now, there was a reason they were doing that. And there was a reason that they were trying to do it so that they could help America. It was the first time in, in American history where this had ever been like retirement. You paid into the system and then you got something in return, right? Guaranteed to you. This is a, this was a radical sentiment at the time, you know? And now, of course, Biden appoints a guy who wants to abolish the entire Social Security system, you know, to the Social Security. Who's in charge of the Social Security system now? Way to go, Uncle Joe. But, like, you, you we, need... we could spend three hours going over his different political appointments and and question just the intelligence of most of these people. Well, the, the minute they tried to put Nina Jankowitz in charge of the Ministry of Truth, I lost all respect for everybody in political. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> That's what we're going to do, huh? <laughs> okay. Um. But but that's what I mean. Like, we need somebody like this. In order to get out of this, it's going to take real plans and well, real real time stuff that is it's it's going to be hard to lift people out of this. It's not a popular thought, but I, you know, as more as we go more and more divided, as the pendulum swings further and further away, I, I you know, I'm terrified that we go the dictatorial route because you know how long do you think before one of the two parties we have tries to make the other party illegal i mean you literally have people who are in the same speech in the same sentence political figures talking about how on one end we have to be worried about right-wing terrorism however on the other hand if you are uh, going after liberal values that um, violence is a perfectly acceptable way of doing that. How long till we have somebody like the Nazi party who basically won at some point and finally just declared all other parties illegal? How long before whoever happens to be in charge? And I don't want it to be either of the two we have who would, who would do this, but how much longer till one of them declares the other party illegal? I don't know. Um, because that's what happens in a dictatorial thing, right? They declare they they declare the other party is constitutionally illegal, and they're the only uh, legal party. And you already have 
people saying that on national television now that the Republican well, Party are well, terrorists and well you not only do you have them saying the public Republican Party are terrorists but it's also what's going on with the Supreme Court right now because our Supreme Court is noticeably conservative at the moment they're basically being told that they're invalid and we're just not going to pay attention to them anymore yeah oh yeah no and it's and if you think that if the shoe was was flipped if the rubber band was on the other claw this would not uh that's a, that's a futurama <laughs> reference for those of you who are under 30 uh that there would be anybody under 30 listening to this would be amazing but still uh no i mean if you think that it would be different if the republicans were in the the same situation they'd be screaming blue bloody murder about the democrats too so it's not it's not like one party's good and the other party's bad it's just one party is going to feel powerless enough that they're going to to go all the way to the outside. They're going to swing all the way to the outside of the box because well, they feel it's, threatened. It's not only is one party going to be uh, be powerful enough, or excuse me, scared enough and feel weak enough and powerless enough. It's the other part is is one party going to feel powerful enough to actually get away with it? Here's here's what I think. Uh, couple of things to, to lead into this. I'm going to answer that question, but i got to lead you down something first. Boomers won't let that happen. Gen X will never inherit power. Millennials will kick the ball rolling. Gen Z will pull the trigger. I truly it, believe it, that. And that's why I'm asking. That's why I'm basically looking at the millennials that I've given enough shit to for the past several years and, and kind of just going, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought you guys were bad. Now I see what bad really is. Yeah. There is a generation coming up right now who have grown up thinking if you want a job – your job should be being you on the internet and people should pay you millions of dollars for it. Anything more work than that is detrimental to their rights as an American. Well, take it even a step further. It's detrimental there to their physical and emotional health. Yeah. I, I, they I would almost feel worst, worst part about it is, is I would almost be okay with this. Now I know there'd still be problems, but I would almost be okay with this if we were ready for the robots to take over. <laughs> we're not quite ready for that yet. They're not quite sophisticated enough for that. Well, here's but, what we but need. But until we're actually ready for the robots to take over and just treat us like their children, um, we unfortunately, you know, I go back to the. Um, uh, Ted Knight quote from Caddyshack uh, the world needs ditch diggers too um, he was such a great asshole um, <laughs> well here's but, what we need to live in Star Trek times where you could just do that where you could just exist and it didn't matter what you did we'd need free energy or and unlimited resources. energy and you'd need free energy of of whatever type and you would need a uh, uh, yeah, like some kind of renewable food source in order to, uh, like permanently new or like infinitely renewable well, that, food that, source. That's, that's why they, you know, in Star Trek, they have the, you know, MacGuffin of, 
energy converted into matter. Right. Right. Because you can just replicate whatever it is that you want. Now, if you really want something good, yes, you can still go someplace where somebody grows food and actually does it right. But at the same time, if you're hungry, you can just go to a replicator and get food. Right. So to me, um, that's what you'd need. And short of that, short of of fusion-powered energy and infinitely renewable food, we're going to have to work. And, and But see, that's where I'm looking at Gen Z and going, this is going to be a problem. First of all, I'm pretty much convinced that by the time Gen Z is in, in control and we're old, that the whole concept of dealing with old people will be like Eskimo, just put them out on the ice floor and let them go. Um, they're already moving to that. They've, they're already <laughs> saying they're already trying to, to disassemble Social Security. So we'll have to work until we're dead which will shorten our lives, and they're not going to approve any medication for us, and we're going to be scared to death to go to the hospital because we don't want to burden our children with medical bills. So we'll die at a younger age than our parents did. <laughs> I, I'm not you, even kidding you, you something that. That, that I didn't think was connected until my conspiracy theory brain just heard what you just said? <laughs> Look at how many states are finally starting to make it make the, the right to die legal. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Yeah, I was reading about that the other day, too. It was kind of like, you know, I, I, as I said, my, my conspiracy theory brain, as we were talking about, the one is dead. It's kind of like, oh, they're making it legal for us to just knock ourselves off rather than burdening our children. <laughs> yep. I think that's what they want. I think they just want us to die. D- Honestly. D- Dad, we can't afford to take a, for you to go to a nursing home. Just take this pill. It'll be okay. Okay, you know, I guess I'm done here anyway. I mean, yeah, I I really think that. Hey, they, they did that one in Star Trek too. Yeah, well, there used to, <laughs> God, there was a movie about that where they, I even reviewed it on a podcast one time. I cannot remember the name of it, but like they is that Logan's they, Run? Yes, Logan's Run, where they have the jewel in their palm, and at thirty, they're like, well, I guess it's time for you to die, and they just send you up into the into the turbo fan and it chops you up, makes you food for the rest of everybody else. I think that's what we're heading towards, to be quite honest, because they <laughs> they really don't care. They're, we need to be Soil hamsters. Yeah, exactly. We need to be hamsters in a very pretty, very Wi-Fi enabled cage. And that's really like the country. I'm convinced that the country would be really great for a lot of these politicians that just didn't have to deal with all the thinkers. Like, uh, we're really troublesome, and they'd really just rather get rid of us. What they'd love is, like, Gen Hi, Z. Hi, NSA. Yeah, fuck you, NSA. <laughs> um, I I really think that's where we're, we're going, because they, they really are putting it to the, uh, like, we're regret. I cannot believe. I couldn't believe, I, I had to look it up. I didn't believe he actually said this. Clarence Thomas went on national news and television and told people we should reconsider. They would really love to can reconsider contraceptives and gay marriage. And I'm well, like, I, wow. Okay. There's, there's two ways to look at this, and it's the two different ways that we can look at the overturn of Roe versus Wade. As much as he's a prick and he should just leave this shit alone, these are those are also things that have been decided by the Supreme Court that there really is no 
constitutional purist way of saying that these are constitutional rights. However, once again, all we need is legislation. You know, Clarence Thomas can go on national TV and say we should talk, deal with birth control and gay marriage, and yet all we need is a federal statute that says gay marriage is legal. Mm-hmm. All we need is a federal statute saying contraception is legal. But what they've done, they've built – the government has built a system that makes it okay for them not to deal with the problem by kicking it to the Supreme Court. And say, well, let the Supreme Court deal with it. That's their move. Yeah, but they now they're pissed because the Supreme Court doesn't agree with them anymore. Right. They don't want to do anything with this, with legislation and everything because it's too much of a hot topic and they're afraid they won't get elected again if they, well, they actually they, say they, what they mean. They don't actually want to take responsibility for anything. Considering the fact sure. that a Supreme Court justice doesn't never has to be reelected, they can make the controversial decisions. First, and not have to be blamed for them, Which or even if they been, are blamed for them, can basically walk up the stairs to the Supreme Court and flick everybody off and say, uh, you know, F you, we did what we thought was right. Which, for the last hundred years, has been the greatest boon for the electable Congress and, and presidential uh, uh, idiots that we've had, that they've just been like, oh, yeah, well, this is also we don't the want first to be- time. This is also the first time in, in several decades that we've had a Supreme Court that is this unbalanced. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so um, now they're looking at it going, oh, crap. You know, like, oh, all we have to do is make a law. Well, we don't do those. <laughs> you know, that would really impinge our reelection process, and we don't want to do that right now. Like, how am I supposed re- to know how to legislate? I'm a congressman, damn it. <laughs> It's not my, I'm a congressman. I don't make decisions. I don't help the people. Like, who would? The Supreme Court, that's what the Supreme Court's for. Uh, that's literally what they're doing. And and what they're going to do is they're going to take this Roe versus Wade and the Democrats are going to weaponize it to get reelected because they have no other plan. Because we're so pissed off about inflation and they keep downplaying it, trying to say it's not actually a thing and it's not actually hurting anybody because they know in the next election cycle it's going to burn them. Well, now they have the greatest ammunition they could have gotten from the Supreme Court because Republicans are largely conservative and are in favor of the recent Roe versus Wade overturning that they'll be like, hey, we could make a law if you reelect us. I mean, I guarantee you that's what they're going to run on every Fucking one of them is going to run on that. Yes, but they they're what they're fighting they're against is something that. Law, well, but, but also even then, what they're fighting against is is the people who are going to sit there and go, you know, you can make all the laws of abortions that you want. I can't afford one right now. Yeah. Well, and that's what the Republicans are betting on. The Republicans are betting on inflation is now and um, Roe versus Wade is an ideal. But, I, you know, what my point is, is both sides are assholes. <laughs> we shouldn't have to be doing this. And that's the part that gets me. Like, people are weighing in on one side or the other, and I'm like, you realize we're being played, like, heavy. Oh, absolutely. Right I, I, that's what's got me as pissed off as I am right now, which is not the fact of whether it has or hasn't been overturned, because I'll be honest with you. It has no effect on me. 
the the idea of turning over Roe versus Wade, I'm I'm pushing 50 years old. I've had a vasectomy. I've had my kid. Um, she's almost out of the house. How does this affect me personally? So oh yeah, well I, I it had, doesn't affect me either. So well, I, no, but like, but as mm-hmm. I'm saying, what I'm what I'm looking at is how many people on both sides are completely missing the point. And it's not the point of whether or not abortion is or is not illegal. I know that there are people who that does affect, and it's very, very important to. But the point I'm trying to make is look at what's going on behind the scenes with all of this bullshit. Yeah. You've got people standing on national TV flat out lying. And you can almost see the ticker tape going underneath them. He's lying to you. Uh, And it's just the amount of just... Double talk, both sides ism coming out of both sides of your mouth, a hypocritical just crap that is going on right now is just staggering. And they'll never try uh, like they really don't want to change it. They really don't because it's working for them. They can do anything right now. Anything. It doesn't matter. Why would they want to change the power base to something that actually works when they can do absolutely anything they want? They can get on national television and lie, boldface, and everyone knows it's a lie. Go home and be just as, as well off and powerful, if not more so, than they were before they told the lie. Uh, you know, Bill Clinton managed to get himself impeached because he said he didn't have sex with somebody. You've got Biden on the t- on national TV uh, more times than I can count talking about things that he's done in his past that have never been done before. And everybody just kind of goes, well, he's just old. <laughs> Man can't finish a coherent sentence. And we're still letting him be leader of our country. I mean, he's literally out to he, he I've watched him every time I see him. He can't complete a fucking sentence. Not you, one. You, and I'm not a great public speaker either, but I can at least complete a thought. Have you seen the card that they showed where he's got instructions on how to find his chair? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's accurate or not, but there is a there's a meme going around in an article flighting around that somewhere along the line somebody blew up the card that he's, he's you always see him going in his hand. You know, everybody's always joked about the fact that it tells him who he can and cannot take questions from. But at the same time, you, you, there was a piece of it that was basically like, okay, then you walk to your chair and you pull out your chair and then you sit down. <laughs> yeah. And this guy is making decisions for us. Supposedly, uh, I just it it makes me mad. <laughs> it really does. Like it makes me mad. Well, no matter where you stand on, on on Roe versus Wade, no matter where you stand on what our reelection is going to look like, our our midterm elections are going to look like. You should be angry. We, if you really want to change things and and you want to panic people, start a third party, a real third party full of people who are not professional politicians and see what happens see how hard they squash it or try and envelop it or try and make it become something that it's not to try and warp it because they can not take 
any like because Republican and Democrat are two sides of the same fucking coin. They really are. They they cannot one cannot exist. It's like Neo and Smith. One cannot exist without the other. They must be in tangent and they know the game. The the petty stuff they push back and forth is just them playing the game. Well, we talked about it last time. What I've started to imagine is it's kind of like WWE wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the outcome's been decided. We're just here for the show. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's all that is. Yo, you paid for a ticket for the show. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We already know how it's going to go, but you can watch. And, and and I know you disagree with me on this one. I still think I don't think it's going to be this midterm election. I think it's going to come right after the next presidential election uh, in which I'm convinced more and more each day that Hillary's going to jump up and say, I'm the savior of the party. Um, I'm convinced that no matter who wins the next presidential election, that th- there's going to be some interesting. First of all, I think it's going to be violent. Second of all, I I still think both candidates are going to show up on Inauguration Day swearing that they're the ones who won. I don't doubt that that's not going to happen. I just don't think it's going to trigger a civil war yet. Oh, no. I see. And the worst part about it is I'm starting to think that less and less and less that we're going to get an honest-to-God civil war. I'm starting more and more to think that we're just going to devolve into road warrior where basically you have your compounds where the rich legal people live and the rest of us just fend for ourselves and in between i think that's much more likely and i think we're closer to that than than anybody thinks i think we'll be devolved into city state or states basically we're gonna we're gonna go into states and i i I think we'll still have a federal government but you know the we'll have one but but they won't have any any bearing on our everyday lives well what you'll have is you'll have the cities will be you know as you said city states and they'll be you know sprawling and looming and everything in between is fend for yourself mm-hmm. oh, except yeah. for the places where they grow food for the city states in which case we're going to keep control over those if you get anywhere near those we're going to shoot you you know god forbid you be hungry yeah, I uh, I think it'll it'll devolve a lot quicker. The states will start to to creep more and more power from the federal, and it'll be more of an argumentative thing where the the government is trying to make the states do something. They'll go to war with the states, and the states will uh, fight back on that and say you have no real power. And unless the government decides to use the U.S. military on its own people the states will drift more and more apart and it'll be, it'll be much more of a fractious thing. By the time our kids have kids, I think it it will be almost unrecognizable. That's just a personal opinion. Well, let's talk about some happy TV shows instead. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, I've got two for us today. Okay. Okay. Do you want to start out with the gloomy one or the happy one? Let's start with the gloomy. Okay. Well, the gloomy one is actually on Hulu. It's on FX, and it's referred to as The Old Man. And it stars Jeff Bridges and... Shit, I forgot the other guy's name. (laughs) Third Rock from the Sun. uh, John Lithgow. John Lithgow, that's right. I was going to see how long it was going to take you, but you were going to get there. John Lithgow. 
And I'm the one listening to you on other podcasts, typically screaming at the, at the screen going as to who the person is that you guys are going for. And now I'm doing it. <laughs> so it uh, stars Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow. And it's basically if you take somebody who was, for example, a John Wick and then waited till they were dog fuckingly old. And somewhere along the line, people decided, well, now now this guy really does have to go. So what happens when somebody comes after John Wick when he's not only old, but old and senile? Uh, and he's like so, half senile. Well, and actually, and I that's uh, depending on how far you've gotten into the show. I really I think that what a lot of the show is going to be is trying to figure out how senile he really is. Um, you said you've watched the first, like, episode and a half? Yeah. Okay, so you haven't reached the point yet where you start questioning whether or not his daughter is real. Uh, you know, I've wondered that since the very first thing, because I'm like, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, is he imagining her? <laughs> Uh, it, because the other part about it is, is they'll start showing you more and more and more of him trying to figure out what he, what has and hasn't been done, what is and isn't real around him. And he's having a tough time with that as much as he's trying to stay alive. So it, 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 it's getting kind of interesting. In fact, if they hadn't shown you John Lithgow's character, I would even be questioning whether or not people were chasing him. <laughs> it's like a beautiful mind thing. He's all creating it and everything. Oh, and just... absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I'm what I'm waiting. What I was waiting for is to get to the end of the series and find out that all of this was just some big fucking mistake. <laughs> um, but, well, it's but entirely it actually, possible. But it is a slow burn uh, mental thriller. Uh, ex- extremely violent, but. In, in a good way, uh, if you could put it that way, uh, and it's it's just hell. If you if you like watching the dude, it's it, it's a great show. It really just is a really good show. Uh, not only that, but he's not doing the Clint Eastwood thing where it's kind of like, dude, you're old and you shouldn't be able to do this stuff anymore. They show oh, you yeah. that he's old and shouldn't be able to do this stuff. He, he gets his ass kicked every time he goes up against yeah. these guys who are 30 years younger than him. He gets the he, crap beat out of he him. He gets the crap beat out of him and only just kind of wins because they he knows how to do something that they hadn't figured out yet. Yeah, he knows more and he's done it before. Uh, but they also do throw in the fact of because he was originally active in the 80s during um, Afghanistan, uh, that there's a whole lot of technological stuff that he just doesn't understand with regards to they're tracking him with his cell phone. It just never occurs to him. Well, it, it occurs to him that they're tracking him with the cell phone, but they don't they he doesn't understand how many ways they have to track him with his cell phone. And the fact that he thinks he's got a clean burner phone does not necessarily mean you do. Yes. And and he's like, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> so and see, like even in the first scene where he or the first uh, episode when he throws the phone in the microwave, you're like, "Uh oh, he's lost it. And then he he has another phone and you're like, well, did he mean to do that? Did he burn it on purpose? And I've decided that he did burn it on purpose and that he's always rotating phones and all that stuff. So I. I'm going to operate right now on the premise that not only is his daughter real, but he knows what he's doing. But we'll see. 
Well, but well, once again, that's where the show is taking you. It's taking you to down the road of questioning that until the end. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's an you're, interesting you're, take. Oh, it's I I thought it was wonderful. The moment you start having them question what's real, that that's an, that suddenly became very very interesting. Yeah. Um, the other show that I started watching with my wife and turned out to be a whole lot better than I thought it was going to be. It is a uh, a remake of a novel that was written. Now, I've read the novel and the novel is excellent. They made a pretty good entertaining movie out of it but now uh hbo has made a television show out of it and it is surprisingly very very good and it's the time traveler's wife okay i have seen the movie (coughs) excuse me and read the book i have not seen the show uh the show is does a better job with regards to conveying what the sto- what the story was about than the movie does. Now, obviously, that's usually the way it works because you have more time to work with, and we're looking at higher quality television shows than we've had in the past. Um, but they, what they've done is an extremely good job of showing you what it would be like to to try to have a relationship who's not with someone who's not experiencing it in the same order as you are. Yeah, I thought which I, just, which I found very very interesting. I which is not a tack they took in, like the, in the movie they can they tried to convey the emotional disruption, right? Yes. In the book they were much better about the logistics of it. And, yes. And how it worked. Uh, I don't know, like in the show, I, I obviously haven't seen the show, but if, if the show goes into like how the relationship might work, that's kind of interesting. It, it's very much how, cause they, cause what they keep doing and I, I, it's been a long time since I read the book, so I'm not a hundred percent sure if they managed to do this as well in the book as they're doing it in the show, but they, a lot of the show is telling the story from one of their points of view. And then switching it back again and rec- and telling you from the other person's point of view so you can realize how different both of them are experiencing what's going on. It might be worth watching just to just to see it on film. You know, the other just thing is, is what I will tell you is, is that it will definitely confirm your love of redheads and you will definitely fall in <laughs> love with Rose, Rose Leslie again. Oof, I love her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> First of all, she's an incredibly beautiful young woman. Um, second of all, she just plays the part wonderfully. She's a wonderful actress. She Um, is. Now, I don't remember the name of the actor who plays the male lead, but my daughter recognized him immediately because he played in the, uh, Divergent series of movies. Uh, but once again, he's playing the part to a T. He's just just that idea of and he's got to play himself from different ages opposite of himself. Theo James. Theo James. And so he's almost not quite, but almost pulling off a Tatiana Maslany from um, her show. Man, I mean, I, I I am a super big Rose Leslie fan. Everybody knows this. Um I I would have gone like I would have never left the tribe with uh you know nothing Jon Snow I like I'd have never left her you know like that's <laughs> I have to go home now I'm like yeah, but you I, I think... do not have to go home <laughs> okay for anybody who hasn't gone through Game of Thrones Jon Snow was an overly noble idiot 
Yes. No, he was. And uh, to be quite honest, if you had a very loyal, fiercely emotionally supportive Rose Leslie character um, saying, look, I'm a ride or die chick. I'm with you until we are both stop breathing. I don't leave her. No, I don't. I don't. I don't leave her like good or bad. This is what we're going to do. And I like as soon as he decided, oh, I have to go home now. I'm like, well, I'm going to stop watching the show. And I did for like a year and a half. I was like, nope, <laughs> nope. That's the dumbest damn decision that dude ever made. It's like, I, nope, you, you treasure every day with that woman. And I just, I, yeah, I was just the like, other nope. part. The other part about this, uh, about uh, the time traveler's wife, as far as people who like time travel shows, is first of all, time travel to him is not a boon; it's an affliction. Right. Yeah. It's um, like having bi- being bipolar. It's like mm, this is not well, a great time. You know, I'm not giving away anything because it starts to kind of point at that almost immediately. Is it turns out that what he has is, I think, what they even jokingly call it at some point is distemporal epilepsy. Rather than having a seizure, it pops him to a different point in time when he has it mm-hmm. at that same point. Um, but at the same time, it also goes with the time theory that all time is exists and ha- and is what it's going to be. So it's not like he's time traveling with the capability of changing anything. Yeah, see, that I would find exceedingly depressing. You know and what I he mean? Does. Like you, you can't change. Well, I mean, and rightfully so, because if you can't change anything and everything's predestined, why bother? You know. Well, I, it's one of it, it kind of goes with what, it's a philosophical difficult one to a theory with regards to time to explain or not even to explain, but to mentally wrap your brain around. But it goes with the concept that time. All of time exists at the same time. We are simply experiencing it linearly. So we we make all the decisions. We have that free will. It's just the fact that you're not necessarily going to experience it in the same direction and in the same way as every other entity in the entire universe. Yes, I know that's deep and metaphysical and damn, but that's kind of where this show is going is all of this time exists. He's just not experiencing it in the same line that she is. Yeah, it sucks balls. As far as yes. <laughs> and he can't change to, to his point of view. He can't change it, which means it doesn't matter what he does. And and, and consider the fact that he, where he pops to is is places that are emotionally relevant to him. He you know, he's constantly ending up at his mother's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it's a show with a lot to unpack. Uh, and they in for the first season, it, they're splitting up into seasons. And I will say that they picked a good point to stop the first season at. Um, once again, I was I, I picked it up, picked it up because I knew it was something that my wife and I could watch together and neither one of us would be complaining. Um, but it, it turned out to be just a wonderful story. And I'm really enjoying it and highly recommend it to anybody who's got HBO. Right on, man. Oh, and the last thing I'll go back to, um, the old man, those two dogs are awesome. They are awesome. <laughs> I have a half Rottweiler, half uh staffy and, and the faces they make, I just go and hug my puppy. I'm like, oh, they're so cute. 
Well, when he uh, was in the overturned car having the, the fist fight and you think he's about to lose the fight and all of a sudden he just says something in German, I'm like, oh, dude, the that dogs. Was a dog, that was a Schutzen command. <laughs> <laughs> You're screwed, dude. <laughs> and he just looks over and there's the dog like, what's up? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I uh, struggling with my dad. He gave me the okay to mess you up, dude. <laughs> well, th- it's that look you can get from Rottweilers and Pitbulls where right before something bad happens, and it's the look of, uh, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm going to eat your face now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's happening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it's so funny. And it's it's because a lot of people don't, don't recognize the right emotions on a pit bull or a Rottweiler, but everyone knows what that dog meant. <laughs> you, know, you can look at his face and go, uh-huh. oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's, it's just, it's that you can almost hear like a surfer dude voice in his head. Like, Oh, bro, I'm going to eat your face now. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I got the word and, uh, coming down and by the way you really shouldn't have messed up my dad so um that's uh we're gonna have to end you dude <laughs> sorry man <laughs> holy crap it's it's wayne from uh letter kenny wayne's a pit bull <laughs> exactly <laughs> that is that is still by far my favorite show it's just the fact that no one else in the house likes it so i i can't like just binge it Oh, we're we're in the same boat. Like no one here will watch Letterkenny. It is, it is such a fantastic uh, uh, ensemble, and and it's so smart, and it's delivered so fast, and the accents you have to keep up with it and everything. But it is brilliant, brilliant like, writing. Actually, the accents are part of the fun. Oh, I didn't suggest that it wasn't. I'm saying that my family suggests it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Though. Um... Uh, geez, I'm having trouble with names today. The bartender. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Gail. Is yep. that her name? Gail. Yeah, Gail. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, she creeps me out. I know she's supposed to creep me out. Yeah, I was gonna say really that does. is her job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is indeed her job. Um, everybody's just like, oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, that, played I, brilliantly I by it, Lisa Codrington. <laughs> But, but, oh, uh, no, once again, played wonderfully, but still, it's just kind of like, oh, you could take like 40% off the top of there, Squirrely Dan. <laughs> now now you understand how much Beef quotes Letter Kenning. Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> and, and the worst part about it is it now all makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, though, I, though, I, though no one here listening will understand what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, and... Uh, be damned I'm not cutting it out we'll end the podcast in a few moments that picture that I sent you in beef the t-shirt was the best part of the picture <laughs> yes it was <laughs> well just now that I have, barely but yes it was <laughs> well, well now that I have confused the listening audience uh, do you have anything else for us today uh Watch Leonard Kenny. Tannis is almost perfect, and Mrs. McMurray is my spirit animal. <laughs> well, if we're lucky enough for the world to still be here next week, we will see you then. <laughs>